The fourth century theologian Athanasius wrote, the word of God was made flesh that he might offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Not only did God give us the gift of his son, but we see that the son gave us the gift of his own life and he was willing to suffer for us so that we might have life through him. Well, welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor and here with Pastor Daniel Ventura. It's good to have you, brother. Good to be here with you too, brother. Excited to have this conversation today. One big practical and theological question to kick us off here. Uh, since we're approaching Christmas, it's just three days away. Is it okay to cancel church on Christmas? Because of course this year, Christmas happens to fall on Sunday. Mm, that's a great question. Yeah, and it's a little bit sad to see churches canceling church on Christmas, especially since it's not only Christmas, but it's the Lord's Day. I think all Christians need to be in church on Sunday, not simply to get their Christmas day started, but because that's where God has promised to meet us in the means of grace, uh, to refresh us with Christ. And also the Lord Jesus was not only born, right, but he was raised from the dead. And we believe that uh, Sunday in one sense is the birthday of the new creation. It's a day that we get a taste of the glory that awaits us as God's pilgrim people as we're heading to our heavenly home. You know, I would encourage all Christians to be in church on Sunday. The Lord is calling us to that place of worship to be refreshed. And I think especially during the holiday season when it's busy, it's good to take these Sabbaths and these times of rest to sit at the feet of Jesus and to, to be refreshed by him. So yes, please, Christian, be in church this Sunday and praise the Lord. Yeah, I think that's so important, Pastor Daniel, because for many years I've kind of had a, a Scrooge mentality or a Grinch mentality when it comes to Christmas, mm. and not because of what Christmas is supposed to be about spiritually, right, mm. the celebration of the birth of Christ, but what it has sadly devolved into, which mm. is largely a secular consumeristic holiday mm. of gift exchanges and not really a joyous celebration of the birth of Christ. Mm. And so I think, you know, what better way to really uh, refocus our priorities and remember what the reason for the season is than to attend to worship with the church on Sunday. Amen. So we got that question out of the way. <laughs> so look forward to seeing you all on Sunday mm -hmm. in our worship services. So what was the scripture passage that you preached on this last Sunday in our Advent series, and what was the main point? Yeah, so this last Sunday we looked at Isaiah 53 primarily, but we started reading in chapter 52, 13, and this is the fourth servant song in Isaiah, and the most comprehensive servant song, the longest one as well, that shows us in great detail who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. The main point of this servant song is tell us what we need saving from at the end of the day, right? There's many things this side of heaven that we often long for deliverance from, and Jesus cares about all of our struggles. But we learn here in this servant song that he came first and foremost to deal with our greatest need, uh, which is our sin. And he dealt with that problem by becoming our sin bearer, our substitute, who would suffer the very judgment of God in our place so that we can have fellowship with God once again. That's so important. You know, I, I need to hear that. For myself because sometimes I feel like I need a salvation from the bad circumstances that I find myself in whatever that might be thinking that if those are resolved that it'll fix all my problems but here we're reminded by Isaiah that our largest problem as humans collectively and individually is with God that our hearts need to be 
restored in a right relationship with our creator. And and that's the way that we'll find true peace and Mm -hmm. fulfillment. The peace that Jesus brings is the peace that he won for us through his suffering and death. Mm -hmm. Uh, What amazing love um, and good news for us in this season to consider. Mm -hmm. So in this passage, what vivid imagery is here that helps us see what it's telling us? Mm. Yeah, so there's imagery here that speaks of Jesus appearing in this world, that speaks of his suffering, and even speaks of his exaltation and his glory. Uh, But the first kind of imagery, again, reveals to us Christ appearing in this world and also his appearance. And some of the imagery that Isaiah uses here in chapter 53 is that this servant Jesus shall grow up before God as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. And there we see kind of how Jesus was born in these barren and and humbling circumstances when Israel was not very powerful. Jesus is compared to here like a like a small root and um, and, and it highlights his uh, his humble entrance into this world. I love that imagery. Roots are largely hidden from the naked eye. You know, even a tall, beautiful, majestic tree, very visible and open for all to see beneath the ground has unassuming roots. Mm. They're very lowly and not really that noticeable. And then you have that imagery of the root tied in with the imagery of dry ground and it becomes even more humble, less likely to thrive. You kind of picture this dry withered up root sticking out of a dry arid ground i mean that's not likely to survive or thrive in that place it shows how unassuming and inhospitable god's entrance into the world was even from his birth Mm. in his arrival that's right such humble beginnings that's right yeah and we and we see that at christmas right how surprising and how humble the birth of jesus was you know he he came in such um, ordinary circumstances, but also in such humiliating circumstances. Uh, Isaiah here says that there was no former majesty that we should behold him, right? No beauty that we should desire him. And I think we're reminded there as well, even at the birth of Jesus, just how humble his uh, birth was, right? He wasn't born within a, a great castle, laying on a golden bed, you know, wrapped in this purple robe, showing his dignity as the King of Kings, but he was born in Bethlehem, right, the small town, in a lonely hillside. There wasn't a room that was prepared for him. And then he was wrapped in swaddling cloths and he was laid in the place where animals eat their food, right? He was laid in a manger. And there we see how how humble and how low God stooped down even on that first Christmas morning to come and to not only identify with, with us, but to, to show us already what he came to do to be our suffering servant. Hmm. Yeah, if Mary had a birthing plan, I'm sure... Uh, in a manger yeah. next to animals with no heating and not mm. good light. That was probably not part of her birthing plan. That's right. <laughs> but it was part yeah. of God the Father's plan mm. for the arrival of his son into yeah. this world. Yeah. And when he came, you know, even as a baby, but also as a man, we're told that he didn't have that outward glory and beauty that, that people in the world are drawn to, right? We're, we're attracted to visibly powerful people figures, right? People who are strong and handsome and outwardly, you know, powerful. Um, but Jesus, we're told, had this ordinary appearance, right? He didn't come on the scene like, you know, King Saul of old or maybe Cyrus with that great outward power, but he came in the form of a servant, right? He took on this humble, uh, not only appearance, but this role because this was going to be his mission to come and to be our suffering servant who would 
um, who would pay for our sins. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was thinking of where we see most attractive and noteworthy people today and where we see them a lot in Hollywood and movies. Mm-hmm. And this means we could say that Jesus would not have been cast as a star of a Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. You know, rather he probably would have just fit in among the extras in the background, mm-hmm. right? Nothing noteworthy. No no radiant beams shining mm-hmm. from his face. Right? That's right. Yeah, and, and that's connected with, again, the third image here that we see, which is kind of the heart of this servant song, the imagery of his suffering, right? His humble birth and that humble entrance tells us about his mission, right? That he came to be the one who would suffer for our sins. And we see that in different ways. We were told here that Jesus was a man who was despised in his life. He was rejected. He was the kind of man that people hid their faces from. And that's, um, you know, particularly uh, interesting to me. You know, I, you know, Jesus was one of those people in society that was looked at that didn't have any real value to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we could easily kind of turn our face away from him and ignore him and look down our noses at this kind of man. And we read here of the, the sufferings that he experienced in his body. Um, we read about him being pierced for our transgressions, right? Speaking of his crucifixion, obviously they're at the cross. We read of his stripes that he endured, the lashes, and it's by his stripes that were healed. We are told in chapter 52 that, that he suffered so much that he wasn't even um, recognizable as a man anymore. We see that in chapter 52, 14. Mm. You know, that shows us the, the, the bodily anguish that Jesus went through um, as he suffered for us. Again, not because he was a wrongdoer, not because he was a criminal, but because he was taking upon our sins and being treated as a criminal in our place. Um, but his suffering also extends not to his body, but only also to his soul, right? We read of his soul making offering for sin in verse 10. Um, and out of the anguish of his soul, uh, he will see and be satisfied. And there we were reminded that, you know, the pain of the cross is not simply bodily, although it is bodily, but it's also something that Jesus experienced in his soul as he experienced the, the torments of hell when our sin was laid upon him. And that meant he, 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 he cried out as one forsaken by the Father. He cried out as one who was totally in the darkness, right? He cried out as one who was paying for truly in his body and his soul the weight of sin, not of just one person, but of all of those who would trust in him, right? And so he was bearing the full weight of that and experiencing that in his body and in his soul. And again, showing us that's what we need saving from at the end of the day. Mm. It is truly amazing that our God, our creator, became flesh and dwelt among us, that the Son of God came to be cast off in God's Mm. wrath so that we might be brought back by God's love. He came to willingly take upon himself that punishment that we deserved for our own sins in order to reunite us to God through his own death on the cross. The fourth century theologian Athanasius wrote, The word of God was made flesh that he might offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Uh, Just incredible love. Mm -hmm. Not only did God give us the gift of his son, but we see that the son gave us the gift of his own life. Mm -hmm. And he was willing to suffer for us so that we might have life through him. Mm. That's right. And, And it's amazing that, you know, Jesus knew that this would be his life. And he, and he signed up for it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That this was all laid out before him. And it was pretty much like, sign on the dotted line. Do you want to go through rejection, suffering, and all of this for 
the sins of people who just turn away from you and Jesus said yes? That's the good news of Christmas that seems too good to be true, Mm. that the Holy One, the Righteous One, would leave the glory of heaven, right, to come and to suffer in the place of people like me. Like, Mm. man, who are we that, that we would get to benefit from such a glorious and gracious Savior? But that's what we see here. And the last image that we're left with is it's not just an image of suffering here, but it's an image of glory of Jesus seeing that all of his suffering was not in vain, but that everyone he suffered for would come and enjoy the benefits of what he's done. And we see that in verse 11, where it says, he, the servant, right, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. And there we see that this servant would have life beyond his suffering and would get to see all of those that he came to die for uh, come to enjoy the riches of what he did. And so there we get allusions to, I think, the resurrection of Jesus, right? That he would see people coming to faith and repentance in him as the gospel goes forth, and that he would ultimately be one who would be exalted to God's right hand and be one who divides the spoil with the strong, right? Sharing the riches of his victory to all who trust in him. Hmm. I love how Isaiah here is showing us that Jesus' soul is now satisfied Mm. through his anguish after taking on the burden of our sins and suffering for them because he sees his people Mm. reconciled to God. And what that means for us as Christians, right? It means that Jesus is not disgraced by us when we go to him with our sins. Mm. Rather, Jesus has kind of the joyful delight of a bridegroom who's beholding his lovely bride adorned in innocence and radiant beauty. And that that's how Jesus sees us. Mm. That's how Jesus sees you, beloved Christian. Mm. He doesn't see you as a struggle case, which is how often I think of my own self, right? No, he is satisfied to call you cleansed, forgiven, justified, and being renewed. And best of all, he says of us that we are his. He calls us mine. Jesus Mm. calls his followers brothers and sisters of mine. Mm. He says that they are my sheep. Mm. And then, of course, in Song of Solomon, if you take that somewhat allegorically, Jesus says to the church, my beloved is mine. Mm. And so he delights with satisfaction in the deliverance from sin and misery that he won for us through his suffering. And like Mm. you said, yeah, I think it's very clearly actually foreshadowing here the resurrection of Christ and the victory that he has accomplished for us. So brother, how is God's truth as presented in this text here, renewing and reshaping your own heart? Well, as you mentioned already, brother, you know, this text reminds me again of what I need saving from at the end of the day. You know, even as a, as a pastor and as a Christian, you know, walking with the Lord year by year and, and as my, my faith grows and my walk with God grows, you know, my dependency on Jesus doesn't doesn't lessen, at least it shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And this text reminds me that with every year, right, of of walking with God, I, I come to see my need for, for Jesus more, and I come to see my need for the cross more, because even as a man who's trying to follow Jesus and teach others about how to follow Jesus, I have sin, I have issues that I need to constantly be working through. And at the end of the day, the thing that could ruin my life is within me. It's my own sinful heart, right? And my own pushing against God's boundaries, my own fallenness. And so I need God. I need his grace. I need his Holy Spirit to come and to to help me and also to forgive me when I do fall short. 
And so it's just a reminder again of what I need this Christmas more than anything, which is this servant. Mm. And as we know, many people in this season are fraught with difficulties and can kind of enter into a state of despair because of their suffering for various reasons. And here we find that this Savior that we need, that you're speaking of, Jesus, he knows what it's like to suffer in these ways Mm -hmm. from personal experience on earth. And that means that we can lean on Jesus. I can lean on Jesus as my compassionate companion through life who is able to comfort me in my own struggles. And his victory through death in his resurrection gives me hope as I face every little death leading to my ultimate death, right? Every day we do lose something and it's a reminder that soon we will have to give up our last breath. But the fact that I belong to the one who lives and breathes again, the one who went through suffering, the one who now promises to breathe new life into my dead body with resurrection power when he returns, that Mm -hmm. gives me hope. Mm -hmm. That gives me hope that loss is not the last word, but rather the word of life. Jesus is the last word. He's the word in the beginning by which all things were created. He's the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And today he is the living word who will return and make all things new, Mm -hmm. including me. And that gives me great hope to press on no matter what I face in life. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the comfort that this text is driving at here, pulling us closer to the Savior and teaching us to lean upon him, in what ways does it also correct us? Mm. You know, Martin Luther distinguished between a theology of glory and a theology of the cross. And I think as Christians, and I know myself even as a pastor, sometimes I'm tempted to a theology of glory, which is really a theology that that wants glory right now, wants to be great right now, wants to be powerful right now, and maybe being attracted to the things that are outwardly very glorious this side of heaven, forgetting that you know Jesus calls me to walk on the path of suffering leading to glory. And if I'm a follower of Jesus and the suffering servant, I am going to experience suffering with him, persecutions mm-hmm. and bodily mm-hmm. trials and anguish in my soul and fighting against the devil. Right now, it's a it's a time of following Jesus and picking up our cross. And so this kind of text, you know, it, it um, corrects me because I'm not always drawn to that kind of Christian life, right? One that One that talks about suffering and following Jesus in this way. But this is what the New Testament tells us, not only Jesus, but even the Apostle Peter writes, humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you, right? We're reminded that in following Jesus, it's not how great can you be this side of heaven, but how can you follow Jesus and being a servant like him, right? Servant is not greater than his master. And so we follow Jesus in the same kind of path of suffering at times, remembering that it does lead to glory, and even now remembering that the Holy Spirit is with us to help us do whatever he calls us to this side of heaven. That is such a challenge, you know, and it begins with the humble birth of Christ and it ends there with his rejection upon the cross. His whole life of suffering recalibrates or is meant to recalibrate our understanding of what greatness is Mm. and what true glory is because it's so easy for us to be shallow and superficial when it comes to the people that we follow in life or Mm. the uh, people that we're influenced by, the things that we strive after. Proverbs 31 says that charm is deceitful, which is Mm. speaking about that outward appearance, right? We shouldn't just follow people because of their outward appearance or popularity. 
because they have a lot of influence or followers on social media. But those are the kinds of people typically that yeah. we're prone to follow. Also in politics and even in the church culture too, mm. typically the ones that are attractive yeah. and charming and eloquent, mm. etc. But it's a trap. <laughs> mm. uh, we do exactly what you said Israel did when they chose Saul, who appeared outwardly to mm. be a strong leader, but mm. then we find him hiding behind mm. the baggage because right. he was cowardly. Yeah. <laughs> right? Instead, we should look for leaders who have good character, mm. humility and compassion, like the Son of God, competence, mm. the skill and determination to complete the task. Mm. We find Jesus came with that willing resolution to mm. finish his task, yeah. right? Yeah. And a vision that aligns with our own values. And Jesus is the exact kind of leader that we need, mm. but sadly, not the leader that we would choose unless the spirit changes our hearts and yeah. recalibrates our understanding yeah. of what true greatness and true glory is. It's a really good point. Yeah. So what are some other practical takeaways, Pastor Daniel, for all the different kinds of people mm. in our congregation here? Well, you know, I just want to, again, draw our attention to verse six, which highlights how we're like sheep. It says, all of us, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And I think no matter where we're at in our walk with God, whether we're close to him or far away from him at the moment or in church or outside of the church, this is a kind of verse that includes everybody, that all of us wander from God every day. We, we fight against his authority. We resist his loving boundaries. We want to be the only sole authority over our own life, right? And we need to come to grips with our human condition uh, no matter where we're at with God today, that this is our condition, that we are sheep who have strayed. But the good news of this servant song is that no matter where we're at today, dear listener, no matter where you're at with God today, whether you have been far from him for a long time or whether you're just feeling far from him today, the, the call of the gospel is the same, which is to, to come back to Christ and to God based upon what this servant Jesus has done for you. Right. As you mentioned, Pastor Taylor, that when we when we come to Jesus, his response isn't to despise us or to turn his face away from us or to look down his nose at us. But the mm. the emotion that Jesus feels in his heart when we come to God again and again and again is satisfaction. Right. It's that joy because of what he has done as we take refuge in, in what he did for us. And so that's just a reminder to us, even, even for the Christian who battles the, the same sin and by the Spirit, they're trying to put it to death and they're fighting against it and they're repenting and looking to Christ, even coming to God for the hundredth time for that same bad temper, right? Or that same, uh, you know, disgruntled disposition mm -hmm. or ingratitude or lust or anger, whatever it might be, when we come to God again in, in sincerity, confessing our sin and weakness and looking to Christ, he welcomes us, and it's because of what the servant went through in this song for us. That's so good. And, you know, what a fitting time for a come-to-Jesus moment for those who are listening, whether you are new to Christianity or mm. you've been a Christian for a long time. Christmas is all about, in a sense, mm. coming to Jesus again, yeah. right? Yeah. Returning to him or coming to him for the first time. We hear it in the songs, Come, all ye faithful. Come, let us adore him. Mm. And so this Christmas, don't just receive plastic perishable gifts mm. made in China that will probably end up mm. in your trash can a year from now. Receive Christ, the Amen. perfect imperishable gift from heaven mm. sent for you. Mm -hmm. Come to Jesus. Amen. 
Yes, I love how you mentioned uh, that's the heart of Christmas, right? Jesus came to us to save us from our sins and we're called to come to him. And what that looks like is that we come to him in faith and in repentance, right? We acknowledge and agree with God about what he says about who we are, that we're sheep who have strayed. And so we confess our sins. We agree with God in his assessment. And then we take refuge in what Christ has done. We call out to him to forgive us of our sins. And the scriptures say that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so we have to come to God personally, whether we're a child, whether we're an adult, whether we're at the very beginning of our walk with God or whether we've been walking with him, we confess our sins and we take refuge in Christ. But it doesn't end there. Um, If we belong to Jesus as our head, who is now that authority and Lord of our life, then we are called to be also joined to his body here on earth, his church. And so we find a body of believers where we could come and hear this good news of the gospel that has saved our souls again and again. And, uh, you know, at OURC, we just had our new members class trying to flush out what it means to belong to Jesus and belong to his church and also hitting some theology in the church. And this is just a reminder that, you know, every Christian is called to be part of a church. We have this term that we call membership, which just highlights the importance of being connected to a body where we're accountable, where we're being prayed for, where we're contributing our gifts as well and caring for that body that God has placed us in. And so as a worshiping community, we come to Jesus and we follow Jesus, right? Because um, that's what we're called to do, even this side of heaven, as we continue to press on uh, in following the Lord. That's so helpful, Pastor Daniel, and just want to echo everything you said and want to also offer ourselves to anyone who might be listening that mm-hmm. if you would like to hear a bit more and get a little more guidance and direction into how to come to Jesus by faith and mm-hmm. what that means to follow him for the rest of your life, please contact us. Please send us an email. You can find our information on our website. Mm-hmm. Send us an email. Send us a text message. Give us a call. We'd love to get in contact with you and to help you come to Jesus and follow Mm -hmm. him as we enjoy the blessing of his forgiveness and grace Mm -hmm. and love. And so, Pastor Daniel, as we wrap this up, lastly, which verse do you recommend we commit to memory from this passage? Yes, I think verse six is a nice summary verse, again, which says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There we get again, not only the bad news behind Christmas about our sin, but the very, very good news that the Lord laid on his servant, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so may we find great comfort in the glorious gospel that we hear this Christmas, and may we take refuge in the finished work of Christ. And we will see you on Sunday, Lord willing, as we worship together and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ at 10 a.m. And then our second catechetical service will begin at 1130. So we look forward to worshiping with you together, loved ones. And we pray as always and hope that this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. And we'll bring you some midweek musings next week.